When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on nobody showing up to your party, getting married before the ceremony, when a friend complains they aren't invited, and social media tagging etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about clapping when being applauded and the custom of shaking hands. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on looking versus seeing. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I'm headed to a very casual wedding tomorrow. Oh, really? Yes. By the way, I should tell you I'm taking tomorrow off. I'm headed to a very casual wedding. Do tell. (laughs) Um, My friends Jenny and Frank are getting married. Congratulations, Jenny and Frank. Yes. And they are doing a little ceremony with just their immediate family members. It's a small ceremony up on the mountain. And then the family will come back and do like a little family brunch and things like that. And then they're opening up to a potluck in the evening. And I'm bringing a wedding cake because I think at this point they're now maybe more than one to the wedding doing icebox cake, which is one of our family favorites. I know. Just so you know, Dan just gritted his teeth and fist pumped at the mic. I made Cindy yes. a nice box cake for her birthday just last week. It's very easy cake to make. And it's a very big crowd pleaser. It ends up just being chocolate and cream, which is so good. But I'm really I'm excited to go to this wedding. It's nice to go to a really casual wedding to think, boy, you know, anything would fly in terms of attire and that this is kind of a, you know, I mean, I'm coming with the cake, so it's not like I can just show up whenever. But it's it's got that kind of a feel to it, which is really nice change up from the usual, your entire weekend is taken up and you've got to do this, you know, it's nice to have something that feels a little bit different that's kind of like, I'm going to wedding midweek. That's that's cool. (laughs) And nice to be able to contribute, to bring something, to feel like you're part of it. That's always a good feeling. I had done the same cake for the bride's twin sister's wedding about a decade ago. So it's fun to kind of resurrect it and do it again for the other twin. How Vermont. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but I am really looking forward to it, and I'm actually looking forward to tell, telling you all how this very casual, easy, breezy wedding went. I'm expecting to tell you it was a full-on blast. <laughs> well, I will be on the road doing seminars, but I will be thinking about you enjoying a much more relaxed midweek. Yeah, I, would, I would guess. I mean, your seminars are pretty relaxing, but I think that this is going to have a little more dancing involved in it. <laughs> now I'm really jealous. There you go. 
of course, I'm such a frady cat or a wimp when it comes to wedding dancing. This is someone who danced you, professionally for 10 years. Are you years. serious? Were you on the dance floor at Jill's wedding? Yes. Okay. Oh, no, I get out there. <laughs> but I feel really awkward and self-conscious. Are you serious? You danced for years. Something about the pop music. Yeah. It just makes me feel weird. <laughs> I can't help it. That's great. Give Things me some I like never... abstract, like um, inscrutable <laughs> modern score, and I can go do something. But give me a top a forty hit, beat. and I'm having trouble. <laughs> Thank goodness for Pooja. She gets out on that dance floor every time. She's awesome. <laughs> you know who else is awesome? Who? Our listeners. I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> well, you're awesome too. <laughs> But we should dance our way into some questions. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. And on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your message. We'll answer your questions on the sustaining member site where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question today is titled, Nobody Showed Up, and it is a bit heartbreaking. 
Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a minor disability that makes it hard for me to gauge others' emotions. As such, I tend to operate as if everyone had the best intentions. Recently, I tried to have a small cookout for my birthday and invited about 10 coworkers over. Most said they would attend, and some even said they would see me there as we left work on the night of the party. Nobody showed up. I felt very upset and hurt, as I was never given a birthday party growing up, and this was to be my first one. My partner thinks that these coworkers did it intentionally and that they do not like me. I'm trying to come up with another reason. They forgot. Something came up for all of them. What do I do? I don't want to bring it up and cause them embarrassment, but I also don't want my coworkers to walk all over me. Anonymous. Anonymous. First off, I want to say I'm sorry this happened. That is an unfortunate situation, and I can feel you wrestling with how to manage the emotional aftermath of something that was clearly disappointing. I want to start off by doing my best to offer some reassurance. We talk about on this show trying to assume the best of other people, and that oftentimes that's the most positive framework, and it's the one that equips you to respond to whatever you deal with in the best possible ways. I would, in that spirit, say try not to take it personally, broadly, and it's also something we've talked about on this show, people are kind of flaky these days. People oh, yes. don't so. handle and manage their social responsibilities. I'm going to not use the word obligation, but responsibilities as well as they could. We hear from people repeatedly about how difficult it is to get people to respond to RSVPs, to show up when they've said they are going to come, to not think of invitations as something totally optional that they can decide about at the last minute. And it's entirely possible that this wasn't an intentional slight or a coordinated attack, but as improbable as it sounds, 10 people just not showing up because people don't show up in the ways that they should or could always. It happens nowadays. It really does. And it's I, I want you to at least feel like you're not alone in this, that this really does. I mean, I've you guys have heard on the show before where I've had to just cancel parties because no one could make it that day. And so you just do. But it is really hard to get people to show up, you know, even for events and things that we do. Um, it is it is very hard to get people to show up. And we're also talking about colleagues in this particular. I'm not sure if any friends were also invited to the party, but it can sometimes be hard when the the work group is the entire guest list. People get home, they get distracted by home life, you know, family life, that sort of thing. And I think sometimes adding the extra and there's going to be people from work who I just spent eight hours a day with. I'm not saying that these are any reasons for someone to actually not show up to a party they said they were going to show up to. But I can see how it happens that people then make that unfortunate choice. Like we said, after an eight-hour workday, sometimes going and hanging out with your coworkers isn't the thing that, that feels the most enticing. And as we continue to look more and more closely at this particular event and situation, it's also possible that they may not have realized how much this meant to you. I think that's very true, I, especially if you hadn't shared with anyone that this was to be your first birthday party. I think that that could really be the case. Hopefully that helps manage that that personal disappointment yeah. that somehow this was an attack. As far as moving forward, I think that anything like this, hosting being someone who's at the center of, of any social event or gathering takes practice. And 
maybe a 10-person birthday party was a big bite at the apple for a first try. I would say keep it up. Don't give up on celebrating your birthday. Don't give up on trying to make meaningful social connections with people you work with. Don't give up on inviting people to do things. Maybe start a little smaller next time. Maybe pick one, two, three people that you feel the most close to and try to organize something that you've talked with them enough about ahead of time that you've got a little bit of buy-in or investment from them. Is there a place you like we could get together would be a kind of question that might start to identify locations, experiences, and and the types of gatherings that people are more likely to show up to. Absolutely. I also think that you you said, you know, what do I do? I don't want to bring it up because it might cause them embarrassment. And I think the most that I would tackle, especially at work when confronting folks about this, is just simply, oh, you know, was so bummed you didn't end up making it Thursday night or whatever night the party was supposed to be on. And I would leave it at that. I don't think you have to go too deeply into, you know, the fact that absolutely nobody came and that it was your first birthday party and all those things. You could if you wanted to. But I also think that just as a host, letting someone know, like from a etiquette standpoint, really the only, I think, tie up you can do is to, to let someone know you were bummed that they weren't there, especially if they had just said, you know, I was coming. But you don't want to highlight that point. Instead, what you just want to say is, oh, I really wish you could have been there. That would have been lovely. If they ask, you can certainly give them more of the details. I wouldn't try to make them sound overly sad. Um, I wouldn't try to be going for that sympathy from them. But I do think that you can just lay it out that, oh, you know, actually, nobody ended up coming. So I'm going to try to reschedule for another night or something like that, if you'd like to say that. Or, you know, it ended up being just my partner and I and we had a great time. And you can leave it at that. You don't, you know, they they call it playing that mini violin when you're kind of seeking out sympathy from someone else. And I think that, that you don't need to do that in this particular situation. But again, as a host and a guest who didn't show up, there is a little bit of a conversation that can be had after the fact. And it doesn't have to be too fraught. Anonymous, we hope this helps and that in the future, your parties go a little more smoothly. Get the idea, audience? In this film, we play a game to find out what sort of friends we like to have and what kind of friends we want to be. Now, here's another scene. Study it carefully because none of these youngsters will do the right thing or the wrong thing every time. It will be up to you to decide. Ready? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Our next question is titled Getting Married Before Getting Married, and it comes from listener Maya Singh, who sent in this purewow.com article. 
And the article is about couples who are signing the paperwork at City Hall and making it legally official before they walk down the aisle. The millennial logic follows that taking care of one big item off the checklist prior to the kerfuffle isn't only smart, but it can also be the couple's little secret. And I think the idea is then that the article is framing it that people of the boomer generation, baby boomer generation, are looking at it like we're missing the big event. So our our thoughts, <laughs> Dan, take us away. I'm curious the way this is presented. To me, it's almost a, a comment on the way journalism works today. <laughs> I went to Don't this pure, wow article. I know, <laughs> and it's all about conflict. It's about oh, there's this new trend, and the boomers are upset about it, and the millennials are doing it for this reason. <laughs> um, from a five-generation family business in etiquette, there's always a framing of, oh, well, the kids are doing it this way and all of the traditionalists don't like this new trend. All the adults. <laughs> the particular thing that's being described as a trend is the first thing I would take issue with. Okay. Oftentimes, the signing of the marriage certificate is a separate event than the ceremony itself. Yeah. You just told me something that I didn't know. Oh, what did I tell you? <laughs> that it's part of the royal tradition Oh, that these things are wedded in a certain way. I think so, yeah. I think I, think I remember from the royal wedding, and I can't remember if it was also the second royal wedding that just happened, where the couple gets married, you know, in, in front of the clergy person, and then they kind of go to this back room quickly, sign the actual documents with witnesses and then they walk out of the church so it all kind of happens on site but we've known for forever that this happens at various different points some people choose to get married before they go off on a destination wedding they sign the marriage certificate i was a witness to my friend signing at the reception after the wedding when did you and puja sign yours like months afterwards when no, i'm just kidding <laughs> pretty soon after a couple you days did a couple days after cuz we had to find the officiant at the ceremony to sign Okay. That it had happened. But there was a wedding where I was an officiant recently and the couple had done this ahead of time. Yeah. For all of these reasons. There was a lot going on and my uh, officiant status in that particular state was of some legal question. So they wanted to be sure they had a really solid. Dan's just marrying people willy nilly. <laughs> they wanted to be sure they had a really solid, legally valid marriage. So they had done this ahead of time. And. Far from being offensive, I thought it was a really smart idea. If we were to break that original Pure Wow article into three parts, there's the premise about the trend okay. and then there's the boomer response. And okay. the idea is that that the boomer generation often feels really aggrieved, like they've been robbed of something because <laughs> it's not the real wedding event that they're watching happen at the ceremony. And to that, I just sort of shake my head a little bit, roll my eyes a little bit because weddings mean so many different things to so many different people. I love your sister's advice. Do whatever makes you feel married. Yeah, I always liked that one too. And for many people, it's that ceremony that makes you feel married whenever that document gets signed, before or after. For many people, it's the process of making that commitment in a public way in front of family and friends or within a certain faith tradition that really is what makes you feel married and consecrates that marriage. And I don't think anything is robbed by signing the document that might legally solidify the marriage or validate or certify the marriage at some other time or place. 
For me, this is like one of those non-issues that I I hate saying that because I don't love dismissing, you know, what seemed to be an entire category of folks. And let's bear in mind that this is an article. They probably did not interview every single baby boomer on the planet and that they're making generalizations based on age and and potential trends. And, you know, you got to kind of wonder how in-depth was this? Were there polls? Were there or were we just talking to a few people and got a few opinions. And so I've never noticed anything about boomers having an issue with this. I know most people to come down on the side of practicality and that it's just a moment, it's a signature, and then it's the ceremony that most people kind of count as the moment that they really feel married and that that whole process has taken place, especially with the exchanging of vows and things like that. So our official answer to Maya Singh, who wrote in requesting that we talk about this, is that we don't think that it takes away from the wedding at all. And where you find the importance is really about you and your partner um, and celebrating that. And on top of that, this is your day not your guest's day. And therefore, if guests have a problem with this, that's really the guest's problem, not the couple's problem. Um, And from an etiquette standpoint, a guest should not be making demands of a couple to suit the guest's needs. Small requests like, you know, I'm a vegetarian. Sure. Requests like, I need you to sign that document five days later. Not so much. (laughs) I think we need to be a little bit realistic about who's getting married and whose day it is. Maya, thanks for this chance to look at weddings and to look at intergenerational etiquette expectations. You haven't said a word since we left Janie's. Carla, I know what you must be thinking, but well, I didn't tell Janie or anyone else that we were going to be married soon. I can't help it if the girls decided to give me a shower. But I know what it must look like to you, and I... Okay, baby, I'm sorry. I'm a brute. It's just that, well, you know how I feel about our getting married before things are right. Forgive me. This question is titled, Not Invited. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I have a large circle of loosely close friends. As to be expected, some friends are closer than others. Because there are so many people who could be invited to any given outing, usually we'll make selective calls and invite subsets of friends to any given event. Sometimes photos of these outings make it to social media. One of our friends started taking to these posts and commenting, why wasn't I invited on each of them? He did it so much that it eventually just got shortened to why wasn't I or even just why dot 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 question mark. Because we all by then understood exactly what he meant by it. At first I thought it was just for fun because most people would understand that not everyone will be invited to every single thing. But at some point it became obvious that he was somewhat serious and was actually hurt that he missed out even if he wouldn't have been able to make it had he actually been invited. I'll admit, at some point I snapped and responded something to the effect of, you weren't invited because we didn't want you there this time around. This apparently has caused an irreparable rift between us, which I suppose is understandable. I suppose my question is, what was the best way to deal with someone who appears to sincerely demand invitations to every single social outing his friends have? Thanks so much for everything you do. Anonymous. Anonymous, I think the first thing that I would think of is if a friend is speaking up this much, then you're noticing that the friend is hurt, that it's probably time to take some care with that friend. Um, that would be my big indicator is that you're looking at someone who's who's reaching out and trying to show like, hey, 
this actually affects me. Why am I not being invited to these things? And I might also look back and just say, boy, we really haven't been inviting Jeff or whatever his name is to these events. We should probably sprinkle him in a few more times. It looks like there are times when clearly he wasn't going to be around or able to make it to these events. Sometimes it can be nice just to invite people and allow them to be the one to say, hey, I won't be here for that, because even though they can't make it, it still lets them feel included. So when it comes to the world of friends, which is pretty vast for a lot of us, we've got our friends in different groups, right? I mean, for a while I had my soccer friends and my golf friends and, you know, my went to high school with you friends and my went to college with you friends and my family friends. It's like you have your different groups and you don't always mix all of them and you don't always invite everybody to everything. That's absolutely true. But I think when you're starting to notice that someone's really feeling left out, it's kinder at least to lean in rather than to, I think, make them feel more isolated, which clearly that comment that you left for them did. And I would I would consider apologizing for that for sure. Yeah. And I think that apology is a great place to start if there's any reparative work that can be done with that relationship, that friendship. Beyond that, chalk it up to experience gained. Yes. Say to yourself, I recognize how hurtful that could have been and I'm going to try to do better moving forward. And then start thinking about moving forward. And this is where this question to me starts to be really interesting because it's a a hard question because you can't be friends with everybody. And this story is as old as the popular crowd in high school. It's as old as the movie Mean Girls. (laughs) It's, It's in some ways a classic issue or question that people deal with in their social lives. And one point in time, people could deal with the disappointment of feeling left out or excluded in private. And the world of social media has really changed in many ways the structure of our relationships where a lot of that group dynamic is happening in this public digital space. And I think it's a reminder for me to really take extra care in that space because people's emotions are impacted. It's 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 real how people feel and how they're impacted by what goes on there. I recognize that there's a certain rudeness that started this off, that that calling people out saying, why wasn't I invited is a, a bit of a transgression to Absolutely. begin with. Absolutely. No, it is. It is. And you don't want to completely fall into uh, friends who are bullying you for invites. I'm I'm not getting the sense that that's exactly what happened here. It sounds a little more on just the annoying front rather than the like actually like harassing you for invitations to things front. But I think it is important to recognize that two things. One, as Dan's saying, people are kind of living out a lot of their lives on social media. And in some ways, that means that both as viewers of it, we have to recognize we're going to see a lot more than we hear about or that we've been asked to participate in. But it also means that people are more willing and comfortable nowadays with venting their frustration online, too. And when you see that, to think about how you're reacting to that. And if you're noticing a trend of it, do you want to address it or do you want to let that person just sit out there, you know, act showing their behavior, whatever that may be, good or bad, is going to be different each time, right? But I think it's it's important to recognize that that does just get played out in this space, too, and either having more tolerance for it or being willing to address it directly as it starts to kick up a notch, I think, are, are two avenues you could go down before going down the road of we don't want you there. 
And in the spirit of if it moves beyond that, I'm just going to tolerate this or absorb it Mm -hmm. to a I'd like to say something or I'd like to do something. I'm going to strongly suggest that you take that discussion offline and out of that public space. I think the best way to make that a direct communication is to make it a one-on-one or a two-way communication. So it's not as public. It's not happening in front of the entire group. If you're not the right person to have that offline discussion, maybe finding the person in the friend group who is and seeing if they'd be willing to to talk to this person that looking for the approach that allows that person to hear it and internalize it and make good choices for themselves is the spirit that you're looking for if you do decide to address it or bring it up. Anonymous, we hope this helps and we hope that this relationship can be repaired. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought I wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to act. Hey, now, your name's Cindy, not Cinderella. You'll get an invitation to the party. Could just been some mix-up. Wait and see. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm not a frequent social media user and was wondering if any etiquette standards have developed for tagging or hash marking people or businesses on posts. Should you get someone's permission before you tag them in a post? Does it make a difference if it's a business rather than a person? Are there circumstances where you are expected to tag or otherwise identify someone? I was thinking about this recently after I posted a family photo on social media and multiple people commented that it was a beautiful picture. I had not initially identified the photographer and wanted to give her credit for her work, so I went back and tagged her. Is this expected? Should I have gotten her permission first? In this case, I had purchased the rights to the photograph, so the photographer's logo was not on the picture. Thanks, longtime listener in Louisiana. This brings up a lot of different questions. I love this question. It's so thoughtful. Yeah. And... There are some expectations that have started to develop in social media. To to paint with a broad brush first, businesses are public and I think you have more latitude when it comes to tagging a business than you do with private individuals because they're public entities operating in a public space and many businesses want to be tagged. They want to be part of the conversation and – In the particular case that you're looking at, I think it's a courtesy to tag that photographer. You didn't break any rules because you had purchased that – the rights to that photograph and you owned it, you could do whatever you wanted with it. You could post it. You were free to do that. But it really, I think, did fall into a category of a nice courtesy, a thoughtful gesture to let people know who took that photograph, particularly because that's their profession and that's what they do. And you do want to just double check your contract with the photographer, especially if this was like a a wedding or event photographer. But usually when you're hiring in a professional capacity, there are certain things that photographers strive for in terms of when they're credited for their work and when they don't have to be. And so just being aware of that and making sure you're following whatever contract you already signed is important. And if a question remains in your mind, you can always ask. Bingo. You can say, hey, would you like me to tag you when I post these pictures? I'm looking forward to sharing them with friends and family. And again, most most businesses, most photographers are going to say, absolutely, please. I would really appreciate it. I think the next one that we want to think about, though, is the the private life. And that's a little bit harder because you might see that your niece has photos of her tagged all over the place on social media. 
but you might not notice that they are only certain types of photos. You know, there, I know a lot of people who won't put photos of themselves up, you know, if they're in a swimsuit. A lot of people who won't put photos up from their personal life with their kids. And so there are different categories that people sometimes have set for themselves. And I do think it's really nice, especially for people that you might be posting about regularly, to ask and to get a feel of, hey, are there photos of you that you wouldn't want to be tagged in? Or is there anything I should know about how you choose to monitor your online life? Before I post these photos and these are I know it sounds strange because they aren't conversations that many of us necessarily grew up with when we're talking about having grown up before the age of social the, the digital the social media revolution I would say before the age of the cell phone every cell phone having a camera on it. But they are important things to get to know. I know certain friends don't want photos of themselves posted. So I make sure that they're always out of the group shot or they're always out of the shot for something. And then, you know, people will take the group shot that's then our private photos that no one's going to post. So getting a feel for that, asking when you're unsure is the polite thing to do. Sometimes people love seeing themselves on social media. Sometimes it's the way that someone's hoping to get a photograph or a uh, a memory from an event or a get together. Very true. They didn't have their camera. They weren't taking pictures all the time. Me. And they really <laughs> like when someone shares something that reminds them of the event or the experience or, or shows them what it looked like to that outside eye. And I, I fall into that category too. I don't always, I'm not always the one taking photos and, and getting them out there, but I actually really appreciate it when I get tagged in something and I can see some of the moments from the night. So it's not a prohibition. It's not that you don't do it, but that you take care with how you do it. And if there is that question in your mind, you ask when you're taking those pictures is a great time to do it. Do you mind if I post this? I love to share pictures of X, Y, or Z. And people will tell you. And if they ask you not to, you want to respect that. If they say it's okay, then go ahead and do it. Longtime listener in Louisiana, thanks for this opportunity to continue to look at social media. For your questions, please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you may leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463. On social media, we are at Emily Post Institute on Instagram, Awesome Etiquette on Facebook, and at Emily Post Inst on Twitter. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Alicia and Anne. Our first piece of feedback is in response to episodes 252, Potluck. Dear Lizzie and Dan, there are online sites and apps that provide easy solution to Ashley's potluck problem. My friend threw a party and only wanted certain foods to be brought. She used the site Evite, which gives hosts the options of showing a list of items they could bring to the party. 
Not only that, but it lets hosts list how many of each item is desired. For example, you could list that you would like five bottles of wine, three bowls of salsa, etc. When your guests receive the evites, it's so easy and simple for them to check off a box of what they can bring. Both the guests and you can see who is bringing what and which items are still needed. Once a category of food has been filled, guests will know to just look at other categories that haven't been filled yet. I believe the Evite site is free to use. I've included a couple screenshots of the site to show you how easy it is. Hope this is helpful. Alicia. Alicia, this is helpful. It's always good to hear about all of the possibilities, and we hear about the challenges that come with social media and all the new communication that's possible today. This is one of those places where maybe that new communication provides some solutions as well. Our next piece of feedback comes from Anne in regards to episode 253. Hi, in response to addressing a transgender acquaintance, I think it might be nice to gently approach the topic offering your support. Or even simpler, I heard the exciting news, how are you doing? If they want to continue to discuss, they will open the door to further conversation, or they can change the topic. While I have had minimal experiences with transgender people, I recently had a life-changing event in my life. Because of its awkward nature, many people did not comment, and I was afraid to broach the subject in case I was putting myself into an even more awkward situation or making others uncomfortable. But the people who did address the topic with me were truly blessings and opened the door for me to discuss as much or as little as I wanted. Tread lightly, but with a big heart. Best of luck, Anne. I love that tread lightly, but with a big heart. That's such good advice. And I also really like the way Anne is learning from her own experiences, that it's not necessarily true that you have to go through everything that someone else is experiencing to understand, to connect, to be sympathetic and empathetic. And I think that's a a really powerful and poignant reminder of that. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, Lizzie Post is going to indulge me just a little bit. This... <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm looking at this title because – and I was like, are you, we're stretching it on the old postscript. So I'm ready to be wowed. The title is we're going to talk about looking and seeing. And then it says gazing at a child inspires a few thoughts. I'm picturing Dan up at like 5 o'clock in the morning with a newborn and like discovering some amazingly mind-blowing etiquette from gazing at his at his new child, second child. <laughs> the picture that you're painting is not entirely inaccurate. Okay. <laughs> Although I want to um, also challenge the timeline a little bit. This was a postscript that I began thinking about over two years ago when Anisha was first born. Okay. But at another time where I found myself often holding a little baby and gazing into her eyes. And with Aria's arrival, I found the thought recurring or coming back to me. Totally. It's been a a bit of a challenge for me, a a disappointment with the second child in some ways, minor disappointment, that (laughs) I don't get to spend as much time with her. There we go. Okay, okay, good, good. I'm glad that was the disappointment. (laughs) Because I'm so often with Anisha, I, I, 
I challenge myself. I say, be sure you get your aria time today. Be sure that you carve out that time to hold her and connect with her. Mm-hmm. And I, I really value those moments that we spend together. And when I find myself with her, I'm hungry for that connection and that experience. And I try to remind myself that when I'm looking at her, that I want to open myself to receive what she's seeing in me as well. And it, this is for me what I'm calling the difference between looking and seeing. Mm-hmm. That when your gaze is one directional, when your gaze is at someone, when there isn't a receptive quality to the way that you're seeing things, it can almost be like you're projecting at somebody. And I think there's a quality to seeing or allowing yourself to look in a way that also is receiving. And it's a subtle difference, but it involves a two-way communication as opposed to a one-way communication. And You're describing things that I experience in the dating world really, really well right now, but keep going. <laughs> well, I, I like hearing yeah. that connection because to me it's a broader thought. And we talk in etiquette all the time about the way we connect with other people and the way we receive emotional information as well as think about our own desires and perspectives. And that quality of interacting with the world in a way that allows it to come to you as well as you moving toward it is, I think, a concept that has a broader application than just when you're connecting with with a little baby, although that's the, the <laughs> venue where I found myself musing on it and discovering it recently. Right. Well, I try to figure out, so what makes me feel comfortable with how someone is looking at me versus what makes me feel preyed upon, what makes me feel just not noticed or heard for who I am. And I like the fact that you're bringing up the idea of the reception and how is that reception of, you know, the eye contact going? How is that reception of what's being said versus what's being heard going? And it's it's interesting how you're right. It makes a big difference to whether I feel like someone is really seeing me or whether they're seeing what they want to see in me. And it's funny how much you can feel that. And and that happens in all kinds of situations, right? Uh, parent-child relationships of adult parents and children, you know, oh, my mom just doesn't hear me. My mom just doesn't see me. She doesn't get me. Or it's my dad or it's my brother or my sister. You know, it's my boss, my, my boss, my coworker. There are lots of spaces where you could say, you know, I'm looking at someone, but am I really conveying what I'm thinking? Are they really receiving it? You know, are they being received, you know, by me in a way that they appreciate or am I misunderstanding them? So, yeah, the, the difference between looking and seeing is is, is is large, I would say. It really is. When I find myself in that, that moment with Ari or once upon a time with Anisha, I would notice a qualitative change when I would consciously think about this difference, Mm -hmm. that if I was looking at her, I would be getting one set of responses. And Mm -hmm. when I would remind myself that she's seeing me also Mm -hmm. and really try to open up that exchange just in the gaze, I, I think it had as palpable a difference as reminding myself to listen when I'm in conversation with someone that you can't talk all the time. You've got to hear as well. And that's that's where a conversation really comes alive. And I think it can really happen even just in the way we look. To me, on that point, it's, you know, not just am I getting to say the things I've been thinking in my head? 
I've noticed that my best conversations are often the ones where I am multitasking and I'm able to put the points I'd like to talk about kind of in a hopper, you know, like a basket over to the side. And if the conversation keeps going in those directions, I can pull those thoughts out of that hopper. But if it's gone in other directions, I want to be able to pay attention to those directions. And it might be that those other thoughts, those other ideas just get saved for another conversation. And I notice how exhausting it can sometimes feel when you're talking to someone who wants to be sure they get every single ball out of that hopper, every single point they've had in their head through to you. And it it almost feels, it starts to feel forced, right? And it doesn't have as much of that like flow and connective uh, nature to it. And that to me is a big difference between the, the looking or the I'm talking at you versus the I'm having a conversation and this is reciprocal and this is in the moment, you know. Absolutely. And I appreciate your willingness to have a bit of a conversation today and to walk down this path that maybe sound a little woo-woo on paper, but <laughs> resolves to some real etiquette about how we interact with each other and the world. Absolutely. Thank you, cuz. <laughs> we like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Jenna in Portland. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for hosting a wonderful and helpful podcast. I've been listening for years now, and I think of you both often when putting your advice to use in my daily life or noticing where I'd wish others would take your advice. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> I'd like to send an etiquette salute to my mail carrier. We moved into our house about a year ago, and in the first couple of weeks, our mail carrier, David, made an effort to introduce himself and let us know that if we had any special instructions on where to leave packages or if we were going to be out of town, to please let him know so he could accommodate us. He's sure to wave hello and ask how our day is going anytime we see him in the neighborhood. I truly appreciate this warm welcome in our first weeks in a new home and new city. Thank you again for spreading the etiquette love. I love spreading the etiquette love. That's <laughs> like such a great way the to put it. Love too. <laughs> and thank you, Jenna, for sharing the salute with all of us. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please continue to connect with us and share the show with your family, friends, and coworkers wherever you find them, including social media. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at EmilyPostInst, that's I-N-S-T, as well as at Lizzie A. Post, that's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.